this is our second meeting of reading uh, Simon Dong's uh, um, individuation in the light of notions of formal information. Uh, we're continuing with the foreword by Jacques Gallaudy. Um, and um, so we saw a little bit last time, um, it's sort of a, a preview of, uh, of the book itself. Um, but we, we did see, um, in terms of, uh, I guess, the interfaces of the, the foreword, um, he, he connects Simon Dong's uh, ideas with those of Nagel Ponzi, um, and uh, in particular suggests that Simon Dong had access to some of uh, Nagel Ponzi's um, late ideas, even though the text itself was not published at the time that uh, this was written. Um, but um, he suggests that through oral um, exchange of ideas, he, he might have access to those ideas. Um, and um, he also, we also saw that he, um, uh, Gacheli uh, argues that um, that Simon Dong is not a physicalist, or or what he's doing is not a physicalism, um, which I think is a, a, a contestable point. But um, we'll we'll have to evaluate that as we read through the uh, the book itself. Um, so we're um, yeah, so we're on Roman numeral twenty two. Um, and I don't remember exactly where we got to on the page, so I'll just start from the first full paragraph on that page, uh, starting, this is a situation. This is a situation that confers onto relation the charge of being that exceeds and overflows the order of strictly logical knowledge and significations. And it allows us to avoid the dualism between the act of abstract intellectual knowledge and the inert objects on which the cognitive act bears. How is this pitfall avoided? First, by conferring a dimension of being onto the relations traditionally treated in strictly logical terms, as can be seen at work in the classical theories of deduction and induction. Second, by treating the operation of transduction in conjunction with that of individualizing form taking, which manifests the passage from the pre-individual metastable fields to individuations in formation. Let's examine the first point. The relations between the fields of extreme tensions of the metastable system charged with potentiality have the status of being to the extent that the differential values between what can no longer be qualified by pre-existing terms are not yet individualized but correspond to the dimensions and scales of tensions from which the resolving energy of the system emerges. According to this perspective, and this is a quote from Simon Don, relation does not spring forth between two terms that would already be individuals. Relation is an aspect of the internal resonance of a system of individuation. It belongs to a system state. This living being, which is both more and less than unity, conveys an interior problematic and can enter as an element into a problematic that is vaster than its own being. For the individual, participation is the fact of being an element in a vaster individuation through the intermediary of the charge of pre-individual reality that the individual contains, i.e. due to the potentials that it harbors. Um, so this is... Uh, dealing with one of the sort of key theses that comes up in the uh, introduction to the, the book itself um, that will hopefully start today. Um, um, but it's the, the thesis that um, relations have the status of being uh, or um, uh, introducing this uh, uh, conception of relations. So relation, he, the term relation is going to be used by Simon Don uh, specifically for um, relations that have this status of being. So it's not, um, rather than having two uh, already constituted terms that then subsequently come into relation with each other, um, there's going to be um, 
uh, an understanding of relation as something that constitutes the being of the terms related. I was just going to say, I think this will become clearer when, when the intro starts to get more so into... Is, is this um, different than an interdependency? Um, yes, I think it is different. So uh, an interdependency or interrelation would be something like um, two terms um, that um, each determine each other in some way. Um, so, um, um, you would, yeah, so you'd have uh, the terms themselves would, would exist, um, but um, the, uh, uh, their properties would be determined by each other uh, to some extent. Um, and uh, I think uh, what Simon Dong is, is um, presenting here is a, um, a more internal conception of relations um, so that um, the, the terms themselves arise out of the, the relation. Um, so in the sense that um, we start from a, a pre-individual field of some kind, um, uh, and then the, the terms are um, sort of precipitated out of that field, uh, and then the, the relation between them subsists through that pre-individual that, that, uh, that remains behind after the individuation process. So the, um, the, uh, the much more um, internal conception of, uh, of a relation or, or a conception of an internal relation. So is it the, the field that has something that creates the relation or uh, where various attributes that um, arise within the field that allows these two um, entities to relate? Or is there a kind of inheritance that's there in the morphism or is there something else? Um, so we'll see, we'll see this in, in more um, detail in when we get to the introduction itself. Um, so I don't want to uh, sort of go into this too much okay. here. Because, uh, yeah, we, we should get to that today. Um, but the um, the general idea is that uh, we start with this pre-individual field um, that um, that subsequently undergoes the process of individuation. Uh, but that process of individuation. Um, is never complete, so it never exhausts the reality of, of the, the pre-individual. Uh, there's always um, an, an element of the pre-individual that's left behind um, by that process of individuation. So uh, then the, the relation between individuals um, only ever, the relation in the, the strong sense, in this internal sense that Simon Don is, uh, is uh, developing here, um, only ever proceeds through that uh, the remnant of the pre-individual uh, and and through that process of individuation. So it's it's not um, uh, it's not it's not two terms that already uh, pre-exist the relation. It, it's uh, it's the terms themselves are are constituted by that relationship. I, I was just saying before. I think this will become a lot clearer when we start talking about his ideas of information, which comes up in this forward and also in the intro. Right, um, and we, we saw a little bit about this, um, I guess, two weeks ago when we were reading the um, uh, form information potentials, um, the, the dialogue portion of, of that. Uh, so we, we discussed uh, 
um, his notion of information and his uh, his idea of, of a attention of information, so a, a qualitative aspect of information um, that's distinct from the um, the the purely quantitative aspect that's measured in information theory, um, um, and so. In, in or to some extent or in, in one sense he's what he wants to explain is the generation of the information in the first place before it can be transmitted um, um, through a, a, a communication um, system uh, so information theory in the, the traditional sense um, only deals with already created information and and discusses how it's transmitted um, but then Simon don wants to take a, a step back from there and look at how the information is generated in the first place. Um, so yeah, that's that's something, again, that we'll also see more of um, as we get, uh, probably not today because I think it's at, towards the end of the introduction, but um, um, yeah, we'll see uh, in more detail as we get to that point. I think uh, this is going to be a really interesting part of uh, reading this book is this whole idea that the pre-individual um, state sticks around after the individuation happens. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing what his examples of that are, because that's a, that's a really difficult uh, thing to think about, um, and I think it's one of the most interesting parts of his theory. Right. Um, we'll, we'll especially see more of this um, much later in the book when we get to the, the portion on um, uh, psychic and collective individuation. Um, um, so that's that's not for um, uh, a while yet, but um, there, there's going to be um, a discussion of the way that um, those two forms of individuation uh, um, involve uh, um, the relationship between the the subject and the um, the remaining pre-individual uh, element in the environment, and, and this has huge implications for understanding Deleuze's idea of desiring machines. You know, and the fact that if the desiring machines are this pre-individual level, then uh, how those stick around um, after the individual uh, is produced. That, you know that's the, the it, that's the same problem and so you know what we really want to understand at least I want to understand is how Simondon um, informs what Deleuze is talking about that's not in the Deleuzean text yeah I think um, definitely there's a lot uh, a lot of Places within Deleuze where he's uh, drawing on Simondon without even necessarily mentioning him uh, explicitly. Um, and there are there are places where he does cite Simondon explicitly, but um, there are there are other places where the, there's um, concepts drawn from Simondon that are being used without a, an explicit uh, reference. Um, but I also I think at the same time, so uh, so first, yeah, it is it is useful to um, to um, uh, if you want to have a better understanding of, of Deleuze, it's, it's useful to uh, understand uh, Simon Don. Um, but at the same time, I also think it, there's a, a certain danger of um, uh, a sort of uh, retroactive reading of, uh, of Simon Don, um, uh, sort of taking him as like a, 
a pre-Deleuze almost, um, and uh, rather than sort of uh, trying to understand him uh, in his own right. Um, so I think um, I think uh, the comparisons with um, particular aspects of Deleuze's work can be useful sometimes, but um, also can be misleading if um, if we sort of uh, extract individual elements from Simon Don um, and don't understand them in the context of uh, Simon Don's general uh, philosophical project. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We have to take Simon Don on his own basis completely. But the other thing that I, I'm, I'm interested in finding out uh, through this reading is what's the relationship between Simondon and Bataille, and the whole idea of the difference between the general and restricted economy. Did Simondon know about that, and was he trying to use that, or is his theoretical, um, uh, si you know, system uh, completely separate from that? Uh, as far as I know, there is no uh, explicit reference to Bataille in, in Simondon. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, um, it would be interesting to try to dig up, um, you know, whether, whether there was, uh, whether Simon Do might have been aware of Bataille at the time. Um, uh, I'm not sure how widely read, um, the, the, uh, Accursed Share was, um, um, at that time, or and I can't remember the exact publication date, so I'm not sure if he would have had access to that um, as he was writing this book. But um, I think I do think it would be interesting to try to make a, a connection, even if there's no um, direct historical influence. And, and then, and then, just briefly, do you know? Uh, I mean, I understand that Simondon was the student of uh, Merleau-Ponty. Do you know how much Merleau-Ponty influenced Simondon? Um, yeah, I, I uh, sort of briefly mentioned this. Uh, I think you, you might not have been here, um, but uh, we saw that uh, last week um, there were one of the first uh, portions of this uh, foreword. Um, um, he, he discusses um, his understanding of what uh, Merleau-Ponty's influence was on Simon Don um, and uh, um, in connection with uh, some of Merleau-Ponty's last works, uh, the visible and the invisible, uh, the notes that were published after his death, um, and uh, I, I tend to think um, it's probably not quite as um, direct as as Garelli does. Um, uh, I, I think Simon Don uh, um, maybe borrows a certain or or takes on a certain general orientation um, from Merleau-Ponty and, and uh, the sort of Bersogne um, uh, tradition within French philosophy. Um, but I don't think he, he adopts um, much in the way of uh, concrete um, philosophical positions from, uh, from Merleau-Ponty. Um, so I, I don't think there's, there's a, a, a strong, um, um, a, a strong uh, sort of direct link between their, their their two philosophical projects. Okay, well, thank you for letting me know that. I, I, I was just wondering. 
go back to the uh, pre-individual uh, briefly. Um, it almost sounds like Simon Don here is uh, resurrecting the notion of an ether, something like that. I think, well, in a sense, in the in the sense that yeah, so he's talking about something um, that um, uh, a sort of um, something that that pervades space um, and uh, um, underlies uh, the uh, constituted physical objects. Um, uh, so, in that sense, you can compare it to the the ether. Um, but I think. Um, what he's drawing on more specifically is the the notion of a field, um, a physical field, um, um, because uh, he he connects the the notion of the pre-individual with uh, the notion of potential energy. Um, so uh, the the pre-individual state is a state in which there is this potential energy that can. Um, bring about a transformation and, and produce individuation um, so uh, I think the the comparison the, the better comparison would be with the, the, the notion of a physical field can I propose that we continue through the text and that I read the next two paragraphs uh, yes I think that sounds like a good idea according to the second point transduction in strict solidarity with the discharge of the supersaturated potential energy of a metastable system will appear as a form-taking, and on this basis in the conjoined twofold topological and noetic sense as information, information. Since through the very movement in which a process of transduction, the correlate of the discharge of pre-individual potential energy of a metastable system, topologically informs a structure which is given to be witnessed and to be thought, we can see that it noetically informs about what it makes appear and according to its associated pre-individual charge, i.e. the horizon of pre-individual being from which it detaches. That this is why transduction, in contrast with induction and deduction, which do not have the status of being, but are strictly logical relations exterior to the pre-existing terms that they link up, manifests as never exterior to the terms that it brings forth, according to a twofold dimension of thought and being. As an individualizing movement of knowledge, but also a movement of being, transduction is a form-taking in conjunction with the energetic discharge of the metastable system that is revealed as being more than unity and more than identity. On this basis... Transduction is therefore not merely the reasoning of the mind, it is also intuition, because it is that through which a structure appears in a domain of a problematic as providing the resolution to the problems posed. But contrary to deduction, transduction does not go elsewhere to seek a principle to resolve the problem of a domain. It extracts the resolving structure from the very tensions of this domain, just as the supersaturated solution crystallizes due to its own potentials and according to the chemical nature that it holds, not with the contribution of some foreign form. Transduction is a discovery of dimensions whose system makes the dimensions of each of the terms communicate, such that the complete reality of each of the terms of the domain can become organized into new, newly discovered structures without loss or reduction. Uh, so this, um, here we have another of, of the key theses introduced in the introduction, um, which is that this transduction, um, as opposed to deduction or induction, uh, transduction uh, has um, uh, this sort of dual dimension to it. It's both uh, an operation of thought and it's an operation in being, in, in reality. Um, and um, um, so there, there's um, 
the transductive process that that happens in in the the physical um, field in in the pre-individual um, and generates uh, an individuated being. Um, and then there's also a transductive process that happens in thought, um, and uh, it's through transductive it's through that transductive process in thought that we come to know the transductive process in reality. So he he um, he's going to use the expression in the introduction. He says that we um, we know transductive processes by by um, performing a, a transduction in our knowledge. Um, so we we our knowledge itself undergoes individuation um, in the same way that the the entities undergo individuation. Uh, and then he also, uh, as we see in this this passage that's cited from Simon Don, he he characterizes transductive knowledge as intuition, um, um, and that uh, is um, as Alyosha mentioned in the chat there. That's a direct uh, reference back to Bersan, who uh, who argued for. Um, or who had this concept of intuition as the um, uh, particular way of knowing um, uh, duration um, uh, and the the inner experience of time, um, and uh, um, there's some discussion of of intuition and uh, transductive knowledge in um, the conclusion of on the mode of existence of technical objects, which. Uh, I would encourage people to uh, go and check out as well, um, because he gives more. Um, um, it, it sort of uh, summarizes um, the conclusion, sort of uh, brings it back to um, uh, to this book as well. I really like this bit, and I really like um, that the Bergson connection is, is obviously there. And I think, as I said before, this feels like he's responding to and expanding on what I think Bergson was kind of accused of as being of a, a vague. Um, like a certain kind of vagueness in what are the what are the actual operations of this intuition that you speak of that he was always charged with. But um, I keep thinking that I think the notion of information, like you said, it's going to come up more in the intro. But I really like the way that he's trying to make this move by saying that what we call information, as we we we're used to thinking of it as sort of abstract points or or like human reliance, sort of like. Well, this is our observation about how a system works, but he's kind of making the argument that, that what you know that information that the things that we call information are actually things which have an ontogenesis that they've taken form in a particular way and they only exist because of the result. They're, they're a point of tension as a result of other tensions, I guess. So one example that came to my mind was uh, like you know we, we always think of on a tree stump like the rings of the tree stump indicating the, the years of the how old the tree is or something but uh, in a sort of simplistic sense you can just say well that's that tells me how old the tree is that is information but those rings you know on the tree trunk are something that are actually produced through the process of its growth it's not just a, a point on a graph or something and and it it's also we only see it after we chop the tree down so it kind of work it kind of funnily works in that bergsonian way of like we have to immobilize it in order to see it but uh but that j just like whether it's temperature uh with, like with the supercooled saturated liquid or any other kind of way of measuring inform what we would think of as information that it only becomes known to us insofar as it, it itself is as a form taking a, a resolution of a problematic between disparate orders whether in physical individuation or living individuation, which I think he says happens differently. But um, yeah, I think it's really, really helpful. 
Um, yeah, and then for people who maybe are not following the chat, there's some uh, interesting points here about um, this notion of transduction being being drawn from Jean Piaget. Um, I, I wasn't aware of that actually, um, so I'll have to look into that more. Um, um, and uh, um, yeah, so there's some interesting quotes in there for when we can uh, take a look at after the, the session. So this is an interesting reference uh, to the pre-Socratics. Um being and thought are one, that's Parmenides. And uh, makes me think of Heidegger in some ways, uh, maybe similar project. It's almost like we have Heidegger here without the poetics or the poetics maybe are substituted by techniques. Yeah, the uh, relation between Simon Do and Heidegger is something that um, uh, I think is, uh, would be interesting to look into more. Um, because uh, there is, I, I don't, I think maybe in the, uh, on the mode of existence of technical objects, there might be one or two uh, explicit references to Heidegger. Um, but there's also the whole third part of the book um, has to do with different modes of being in the world, which I, I'm pretty sure is, um, is a reference to Heidegger. Um, and, um, and so I think it would be interesting to um, try to characterize um, have a, a better understanding of, of what the relationship is precisely between uh, Simon Dome and Heidegger. Yeah, I think the, the tendency in French thought seems to be to kind of materialize phenomenology and to integrate it with natural science. Because Heidegger, of course, would say, you know, science is a kind of derivative and it's the downfall of being and whatnot. But the French don't seem to think so. Yeah, certainly Simon Dome doesn't think so. Um, so he um, throughout this book, uh, rely uh, very, very heavily on natural sciences, um, physics, and uh, and biology in particular. Um, and he, we saw this a little bit in the form information potentials reading from a couple weeks ago. Um, he he defends the the use of uh, scientific concepts or, or concepts drawn from scientific domains as, as paradigms to uh, to borrow into other into uh, philosophy. Um, so this notion of like the, the crystallization um, example, um, using this as a paradigm for the process of individuation in general. Um, so he, he definitely um, uh, has a much more positive evaluation of science and, uh, and the concepts of science than Heidegger does. I can read the next couple of paragraphs. Furthermore, the good form is not the stabilized fixed form that Gestalt theory believed to locate, but the form rich in energetic potential charged with future transductions. The good form does not stop making us think, and in this sense, it does not stop in generating further individuations to the extent that it allows us to anticipate future individuations. Therefore, the information born out of transductive movements is no longer conceived as the transmission of an already coded and established message sent by an emitter and transmitted to a receiver but is form-taking. This is topological information, which on the basis of a field wrought with the pre-individual tensions of the very movement in which the form is individualized, informs in the noetic sense the same thing as what appears topologically and from which it detaches. This is a timeline, a world line, which points toward a pre-individuality of being in which is the source and the origin of the latter. In this sense, information is a theater of individuations. 
This involves a situation that cannot be understood except within the framework of the passage of an energetic problematic of metastable states to states in the process of stabilization, which afterwards are in a state of resolution, but also of energetic impoverishment, just as volcanic rocks in the splendor of their individual forms manifest the energetic death of an anterior lava flow. Furthermore, the pure form, the good form of gestalt theory is a stabilized energy that has arrived at the end of all its processes of individuation and transformation. The same can be said of the pure and completed pictorial form, which is outlined in the horizon of the quasi and the quasi illegible muddle of anterior sketches, such as the admirable preparatory sketches of drafters that allow the quill to run, forming the pre-individual matrix for future beginnings. On this basis, the design is a metastable field wrought with tensions from which progressively emerge the lines in which the individuate, individuating forms stabilize. Nonetheless, these forms will be able to again become energetic capacity if they are paired with other forms and if they are integrated into a more complex structure in which they will compose as energetic potential into phases of tensions and a quest for resolution. The act of the painter in direct grips with this field of colored and linear metastability is a theater of individuations. Should I just read the next short paragraph? Uh, sure, go ahead. Um, such is the situation, for example, of a fragment of a bust photographed in a collage, which in itself possesses a fixed form of a fragment of stable reality, indexed and defined by a name but which when it is, once it is integrated into the new system, takes on a value of a potential charge whose enigmatic dimension is relative to the metastable whole of the composition. However, in this metastable system, in a phase of internal resonance, it is the enigmatic characteristic of form taking intro introduced by a foreign element that remodels the, remodels the whole by making questions emerge. This is what indicates the that questioning is crossed chiasmically on the meta-unitary structure of the composition, charged with the potential for inexhaustible forms and meanings. Thus, form-taking in the topological sense of the term, through its structural metastability charged with unresolved tensions, reveals topological information and noetic information tightly interwoven and held in an overlapping chiasmus. Moreover, Gilbert Simondon's um, meditation focuses on the non-identitarian world where individuations always reflect an underlying field of pre-individuality that is most often unapparent or forgotten. And it is precisely this inexhaustible enigma that Simondon attempts to contemplate. Yeah, so there's this notion of uh, chiasmus. Um, um, it's too bad that uh, Triad isn't here today because he could probably explain this better, but this is um, a notion drawn from the late Merleau-Ponty um, in The Visible and in The Invisible. Um, and it has to do with this um, notion of the, 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 how the, um, the, the body is a, is a form or, or flesh, as, as he um, puts it in that book, um, is a, a, an interlacing, an interlacing of, um, uh, of uh, subject and object, or um, of the uh, knowing and the known, um, they're they're sort of um, they can't be separated from each other in in the body or or in flesh. Um, 
and so there is um, um, the 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 term is borrowed from um, uh, poetics. Um, there's a certain um, poetic structure called the chiasmus, where you have um, um, basically a, a, a sort of interlacing pattern uh, within a poem, um, and uh, and that's where it's drawn from. Um, but uh, maybe someone else who has a better um, knowledge of Meloponti could uh, help explain that a little more. Well, the paradigmatic example I've uh, heard is the uh, uh, the left and the right hand touching one another. Right. So this is this is an example that that Meloponti uses, where um, if you if one hand touches the other, you can alternately experience each hand as as touched or touching. Um, so one one hand is the touching hand, and the other hand is the hand being touched, um, and you can sort of switch back and forth from one to the other. Um, and and uh, um, so there's a there's this um, uh, the the chiasmus uh, as I understand it is, is sort of like the um, the neutral point of uh, of of this opposition. It's it's um, the the way that the body is um, sort of underlies the distinction between subject and object, or, or the way that um, the body can alternately be the the touching or the touch um so i think i think that's um a bit of how of what this notion of, of chiasmus is supposed to do is it then um is it an idea of like the, the body as a side of virtual potentials then is that is that where it's going um i'm not 100 percent sure um because um so this this notion of chiasmus is not is not one of uh, simon don's notions um or it's not a term that he uses. So, so Garadi here is introducing this term from Merleau-Ponty um, to uh, to explain what um, uh, what Simondon is doing, um, and and so this I think is connected also to his general um, uh, interpretation of Simondon as as being um, more in the the lineage of Merleau-Ponty. Um, um, so it's. Uh, um, I think here it's not referring specifically to the body. Um, um, it's he, so he uses the term in, in relation to to um, um, questioning. Um, so a, a, a questioning. Um, sorry, I'm looking at the French here, um, but questioning uh, crossed in a chiasmus um, on the meta-unitary structure of composition. Um, so it's uh, it's not so much um, the chiasmus here is is operating in the realm of questioning rather than uh, being something uh, having to do with the body specifically. I guess I'm just looking at that phrase held in an overlapping chiasmus. Um, it sounds sort of like the this the field the internal resonance maybe would be how someone would talk about it. Like, but but that the internal resonance that does happen within. Uh, I want to say within an individuated being, but within a whatever that field is that has the pre-individual individuated and the milieu all together, which in which in living being would be like, if we don't call it the subject, like just you, the living being, right? Yeah, we'll see. Um, again, this is something that will come up more in the introduction itself, and then um, later on in the book. Um, but we'll see. Um, more, much more extensive um, account of vital individuation, so the individuation of living beings. Um, but um, I think, um, I think to some extent, there's um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit um, reluctant to to make a too close of a link with Merleau-Ponty and and his notion of the body, um, precisely because of the um, um, phenomenological um, basis of Merleau-Ponty's work um, and the the idea of uh, of constitution um, and and so on, um, which I think um, doesn't really apply in um, in Simon Don's work, um, so I, I yeah I think the 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 comparison would be you'd you'd have to um, dig in more to the um, to the details of Simon Don's development of uh, vital and then later psychic individuation in order to make that comparison. I think it I think you you would find the comparison at that point rather than at the the point of um, sort of first principles where we're where we're at right now. It seems like the notion of intentionality is left out here. Uh, and that's still in Merleau-Ponty. I'm not sure about his later work, but in the uh, in what everybody reads of him. Uh, sort of a vestige of Aristotle, I guess, going back to Brentano. Yeah, the, so that, that, that notion of intentionality is the, the sort of the key notion of phenomenology um, when, when Husserl um, borrows it from Brentano. Um, um, and uh, I think, yeah, I think you're right that um, it's not one of the um, the keywords for uh, for Simon Don. Um, and even when he talks about um, psychic individuation, there's no um, discussion in particular of intentionality, um, as far as I can recall. I just pasted a little bit from the Stanford uh, Encyclopedia of Philosophy. They have a little bit on chiasm that might be helpful for folks. Um, so I think we can go on to the next uh, couple of paragraphs that someone else would like to read. So we're on to the crisis of understanding in the physical sciences and its consequences in the philosophical conception of beings. Nonetheless, an interrogation remains concerning the usage of theories borrowed from thermodynamics and quantum physics in the philosophical problematic of the pre-individual and the contemporary conception of beings. Without discussing the properly technical aspect of the problem, it is nevertheless necessary to recall the complexity of the debate, and it is important to reflect on the exemplary prudence of Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg each time they have tackled the question concerning the philosophical status, which would, but which could also be called the mode of being of the quantum particle. This question of ontological consequence was central to the meditations of these physicists. It is also worth recalling the end of the conversation between these two scientists, which concerns the notion of understanding in modern physics. This is a problem that is also our own, not just as soon as the question of beings is posed, but also as soon as the philosopher, acknowledging that the dominant state of nature is not matter, but energy, calls into question the capacity of our mind to understand the components of this phenomenon. Thus, the pressing question formulated by Heisenberg, quote, if the inner structure of the atom is as closed to descriptive accounts as you say, if we really lack the language for dealing with it, how can we ever hope to understand atoms? Bohr hesitated a moment as Heisenberg reports, then said, I think we may yet be able to do so, but in the process, we may have to learn what the word understanding really means. It is by having this attitude of circumspection present to the mind that we can attempt to evaluate it. And this attitude is no less prudent in Simondon when he refers to the theory of quanta and to the possible usage of wave mechanics in the clarification of the pre-individual problematic. The crisis of meaning that has shaken the scientific and philosophical problematic of the 20th century cannot avoid these questions. 
Um, yeah, so this is again stuff that we'll we'll get to in the introduction um, and then in uh, the first part of the book. But there's um, there's some discussion of um, quantum theory and um, wave mechanics, um, um, and uh, so we'll see uh, in the introduction. Simon Don um, uh, argues that this notion, the, the complementarity uh, of notions within um, within these theories. So the fact that um, we have to represent um, something as, as both a particle and a wave at the same time, or, or alternately one or the other. Um, so he argues that um, concepts in the proper sense only apply to what is individuated. Um, and then, uh, and that's why we, we our, our concepts, um, when we try to apply them to uh, this pre-individual level, um, we end up having to use pairs of concepts. And so the, uh, the, this intuitive knowledge or, or transductive knowledge of the pre-individual um, would be more fundamental than uh, a conceptual knowledge, which is knowledge of the, the already individuated. Uh, I'm, I'm by no means an expert myself, but just um, with, with the wave stuff as well, I think you start to so get into ways of solving the problem, again, with the, the question of information of like, um, there's a really bizarre and, but frankly, very, very interesting series that was uh, linked in the Bergson group of a, a, a 50 part series on YouTube of this professor giving this argument about how Bergson kind of like predicted a holographic theory of perception and stuff. But one of the interesting things I was like looking at with the, those lectures was the way that they discussed the concept of holographic waves, how waves work in terms of the information that you can reconstitute out of them and the, re the, the way in which um, at any point of, of the wave that is um, produces the holograph you can reconstruct the entire image and it, it's no matter which point you take that so-called information from. Uh, I'm not saying Simondon is like advocating a holographic universe or something. What I'm saying is just that in that small insight from my tiny brain helped me think about one of the other reasons why this point in science and philosophy was so important. Like when he was writing this and thinking about what kinds of problems waves can solve that, that like he said, that notions of just stable or, or, uh, matter at rest you know that the kinds of badly posed problems that you get into when you only discuss things in that way right so not to hijack the discussion or get away from simondon but those uh videos on the uh the holographic um aspect of uh of not only reality but the brain um they're pretty radical in the sense that at some point, they will refer to the brain as a as a wave, and so it becomes it's very abstract and not easily digestible ontology around the holographic nature of being. Um, <clears throat> but with Simon Don, it seems very interesting that uh, so much science is being infused into uh, his philosophy and um, yeah but on the on the point about waves um, and our perception that if certain things are <clears throat> are out of phase that they no longer retain their particular form so I think the uh, chiasmus which also refers to chirality in 
um, chemical structures. At some point, it seems like Simone Dona is going to start talking about this, these various phases, uh, as was mentioned earlier, too, because I'm interested in what, what those are. Um, but without getting too off topic, I just wanted to, you know, kind of tie a few things together there, entangle. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't recall if, um, if Simondo. I don't think Simondo ever explicitly mentions the notion of chirology. Um, but um, yeah, it might, it might be worth investigating whether there's some connection with um, the chiasmus. Um, but yeah, so we can we can go on to the next uh, couple of paragraphs. Uh, if we can get a volunteer. Thus, after having contested mechanism and energeticism which remain theories of identity that cannot, on this basis, completely account for reality. Simondon notes the insufficient nature of the theory of fields added to the theory of corpuscles, um, just like the conception of the interaction between fields and particles, due to the fact that these attitudes remain partially dualistic. Nevertheless, according to Simondon, they allow us to regain our bearings toward a renewed theory of the pre-individual. Here again, we find Simondon returning to the theses that Bohr elaborated regarding the complementarity of the theory of quanta and of wave mechanics, and where Simondon, via a new path of exploration, tries to see the convergence of these two, theory, two new theories, that of quanta and that of wave mechanics, which to this very day have remained impenetrable to one another. In fact, it is a question of envisioning these two theories as two ways of expressing the pre-individual through the different manifestations in which it intervenes intervenes as pre-individual. According to this methodological approach, Simondon notes, by way of another path, the theory of quanta grasps this regime of the pre-individual that surpasses unity. An exchange of energy occurs through elementary quantities, as if there, as if there were an individuation of energy in the relation between particles, which can, in a sense, be considered as physical individuals. It is in the framework of this hypothesis integrated into what he calls an analogical philosophy of the as-if that this philosopher pro proposes to conceive below the order of the continuous and the discontinuous, the quantic and the metastable complementarity, the more than unity, which is the true pre-individual. Um, so this is what I sort of mentioned uh, the last time I, I got ahead of myself a little bit, but um, yeah, so he, he argues that um, the complementarity of notions that we find in uh, quantum theory um, is um, a result of the fact that concepts are only, um, uh, in, concepts in the proper sense are only applicable to the already individuated. Um, so when we try to apply concepts to the, the pre-individual, we end up with these um, complementary concepts. I'm interested in what he finds insufficient in the nature of fields. Because I'm, I'm imagining, obviously, he builds on it, but um, fields seems to work much more with kind of what we were saying before, like the idea of internal resonances and whatnot. So I'd be curious in what way, um, what is insufficient about fields as composed as compared to the theory of corpuscles? Um, well, the, yeah, we'll get to this um, eventually in in uh, the first part of the book, um, but um, uh, to my recollection, it, it has to do with so the the Fields conception and the um, corpuscle conception are sort of complementary to each other in that the 
the corpuscle um, is the already individuated entity, um, and then the field is the the pre uh, the pre individual. Um, but um, so you have to account for both aspects of reality in order to have a complete theory. Um, so if you if you only have a, a field theory, then you have you don't have um, an explanation of of how um, uh, how uh, individuated entities arise out of that field. I can continue reading. Does that sound good? Uh, yeah, it sounds, I think there's no more uh, comments. So yeah, go ahead. I believe we're at um, reflecting on the necessity in which physics is found to correct and pair together basic concepts. Simonon suggests the hypothesis according to which this necessity perhaps translates the fact that concepts are adequate only to individuated reality and not to pre-individual reality. If this is taken into account, no positive physical certainty can give an objective solution to a philosophical problem, such as the one posed by the pre-individual dimension of a primordial there is, from which will be released afterwards a detailed problematic of beings in the phase of individuation, precisely because the act of understanding is crossed chiasmically over the physical field and because this conjoined structure of being and knowledge poses a philosophical problem that exceeds through its interlinked structure of chiasmus, a simple problem of a positive style, whatever the time frame of the envisioned scientific theory may be. It is thanks to this framework of thought that the reevaluation of the principle of complementarity stated by Niels Bohr and the signification to be granted to the twofold approach of the physics of corpuscles and wave mechanics, such as Louis de Broglie um, reformulated it at the end of his life after a simplified presentation to the Solvay Conference in 1927, which had been critiqued by the founders of quantum physics, are presented in a new light. On this basis, Simondon suggests, in addition to the revaluation of Niels Bohr's principles of complementarity, an original interpretation of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, as well as a reevaluation of the introduction of statistical calculus into the mathematical formulation of this principle. It is in this framework of reform that Simondon presents his conception of transduction as the effort of thinking in one and the same unity, the object of research and the movement of knowledge that drives it. Afterwards, taking into account this reform of method, the question that immediately arises is knowing whether the distinction posited by Heisenberg between the effective reality of the quantum particle and the knowledge the physicist has of it does not appear as tainted with the dualism that would be controlled by the methodological privilege granted to the individual unit of the quantum particle, initially considered as the reality to be explained. Whereas it perhaps only appears as a possible process of individuation coming from a pre-individuality that would be in a relation of discontinuity relative to the field of its manifestation. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with the uh, the history um, of physics that is, is uh, being discussed here. Um, and we'll see we'll see more detail of the uh, on this um, in the book itself. But um, um, the I think the general idea um, that Simon Don um, is going to work from is this notion of complementarity. Um, so with so um, this is uh, exemplified by the way that we have to use um, uh, particle concepts. Um, for uh, we have to uh, understand certain phenomena as being both particles and waves um, uh, in in different um, 
um, context. Um, and so, so the wave concept and the particle concept are complementary. Um, and um, certain physicists understood this as being a, a sort of epistemological um, complementarity. So it's just, um, uh, it's just a question of um, our knowledge uh, only being able to grasp uh, certain phenomena in, in certain forms. Um, but uh, Simon Dong is going to um, understand this as um, a sort of ontological complementarity. So the, 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 um, it's, it's through um, a process of individuation that, um, that something uh, comes to manifest itself as a particle or as a wave. I'm, I'm looking forward to um, the statistical calculus integration um, and seeing what happens with that because in um, a lot of, um, or there's these biological theories being developed now of uh, like the Markov blanket, which is a statistical term that's the sort of like boundary of a self. Um, um, and there's also a lot of work in like biosemiotics. Um, so it might be a way to think about those new developments. Um, so I'm excited for that too. Yeah, I'm not uh, familiar with that. So when we get to that point in the book, you'll have to um, help us to uh, think through those issues. Um, so there's no, it doesn't sound like there's um, any more comments. I think uh, most of us are probably a little bit out of our depth when it comes to uh, um, quantum mechanics. Um, but um, I'll, I'll continue, I'll read the last bit of this uh, forward before we get to the introduction. Such are the philosophical and not just epistemological stakes of Gilbert Simondon's questioning. In fact, this non-identitarian conception of beings, which must be returned to a field of primordial metastability, exceeds the framework of a subatomic physics or a problematic of the technical object in a vital individuation. This conception is established following three different axes of research. One, through the perception of the thing in the world. Two, through the question of artistic creation in its entirety. Three, through the timeless conception of ontological difference, as long as the question of being, as Heidegger teaches, remains that of the being of beings. However, the non-identitarian dimension of beings, in regard to which ontological difference is marked, prevents us from posing this question according to the terms used by Heidegger in each of his works. For what this philosopher took as an individual reality with a fixed and stable unitary nature of intraworldly beings is immediately revealed as a non-being, non-ence, no-thing. This is what unexpectedly introduces the problematic of nothingness at the very heart of the structure of beings, which afterwards are no longer beings. This is a paradox that requires surpassing the question of ontological difference such as Heidegger conceived it. Thus, a whole field of contemporary philosophical research is invited to fundamentally renew the mode of questioning of the thing in its relation to the pre-individuality of the world. Beyond the strictly epistemological character of his undertaking, not the least of Gilbert Simondon's merits was to have drawn philosophical attention to this paradigm shift in thought. I actually have my doubts about this reading of Heidegger. Um, especially, uh, well, being in time essentially is a work of individuation. So I think the problematic is very much there, only it's, it's addressed in a very different way. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's a sort of, um, it's almost in passing the way that he addresses Heidegger. And then he makes reference to his own book. Um, and he says, so in, the, in one of the footnotes, um, he says, um, this demonstration is developed at length in, in his book, Rhythm and, and Worlds. Um, um, 
So, so that, that's something that um, I'm not familiar with. Um, but um, so you, we'd have to go to that book, I think, to get the the full picture um, that he's developing here. But I think um, I think he's referring to um, actually. Sorry, let me just take a look at the footnotes and see which. Um, yeah, he does refer to um, being in time. Um, so yeah, it is a little bit surprising that he doesn't um, he doesn't account for uh, the role of individuation in that book. Um, but the, so this reference here to the problematic of of nothingness, um, I, I think, refers more to um, um, the uh, sorry, what is metaphysics um, lecture uh, rather than being in time. Um, and um, the, so the idea here is that, um, so again, this is a, an interpretation that probably could be contested, but I think the way Garelli is presenting things here is the idea is that um, um, philosophical inquiry for Heidegger uh, starts from uh, entities that, that exist um, and then um, from, from those entities, it passes over to being, um, which um, uh, being uh, as a, um, a, a non-thing, uh, something that is not uh, uh, an entity um, and that's distinct from, from every entity. Um, and, uh, and so uh, this, this ontological difference introduces um, nothingness into uh, the structure of the being, um, the, the individual entity that, um, that um, is related to being, uh, that has a, a conception of being, so namely the human being or, or Dasein. Um, uh, yeah, so I, again, this is a probably um, not uh, a Heidegger interpretation that a lot of Heideggerians would um, accept, but um, I think that's the, the conception that, that Garelli is presenting here, but uh, we'd have to look at his his book itself to uh, to see if that's accurate. Can I um can I just do my my evangelism thing and, and read this person if folks don't mind, and and then maybe we can do the introduction. Uh, I sure. Wanted, yeah. I just wanted to share because that, that this last section, the, other than the Heidegger stuff, there's a bit of a discussion of transduction. What is the transductive effort of thinking and uh, this thing of thinking in one and the same unity, the object of research and the knowledge that drives it um i you know i'd have to read a longer thing but i just so much when reading this stuff you get the sense of that kind of like subterranean there's a bergsonian instinct there that i think lou talked about as well and if you want if you want some of the poetry back i can't remember who said it <laughs> just have a think about this this quote here it's from one of the lectures in creative mind he says uh intuition doubtless admits of many degrees of intensity and philosophy many degrees of depth, but the mind once brought back to real duration will already be alive with intuitive life and knowledge of things will already be philosophy. Instead of a discontinuity of moments replacing one another in an infinite time, it will perceive the con continuous fluidity of real time which flows along, indivisible. Instead of surface states covering successively some neutral stuff and maintaining with it a mysterious relationship of phenomena and substance, it will seize upon one identical change which keeps ever lengthening as in a becoming, where the becoming, being itself, is substantial, has no need of support. No more inert states, no more dead things. 
nothing but the mobility of which the stability of life is made. A vision of this kind where reality appears as continuous and indivisible is on the road which leads to philosophical intuition. I just thought that is so fitting for kind of where Simone is going. Yeah, that, that's true. I'm, I'm doing the good news with, <laughs> with Bergson. Anywho. Yeah, so um, before we start on the introduction, maybe I'll just mention um, again the uh, the conclusion to On the Mode of Existence of Technical Objects, where he does talk about um, intuition um, as, a, as the, the form of philosophical knowledge. Um, but he specifically um, distinguishes his conception of intuition from, uh, from Bergson's uh, insofar as for him, uh, so for Bergson, there's no... Um, uh, intuition is has to do with um, uh, the experience of time uh, and duration, um, um, and it's distinguished uh, sharply from uh, the perception of uh, space of, of extended um, extended things um, and uh, the geometrical um, perception. Um, uh, so Simon Don. Uh, is going to, um, for his notion of, of intuition, he, he wants to have uh, a conception uh, in which uh, intuitive knowledge can grasp um, um, the actual, uh, can grasp um, um, the individuated beings, but it grasps them through the process of their individuation. Um, so it's, um, it's uh, a slightly different notion of, in of intuition that is at work in Simon Don. Maybe we should die. I should go look at that chapter because the in that doesn't sound actually too different from what Kirkson says. But I'm interested in to see, see how Simone de Nome distinguishes his project because obviously Bergson's is more preoccupied with with time above all else. Although I can kind of see while Simone de Nome, it it almost is spatial in a way when he's setting up all relations. Like it, to me, it just feels like a very very lucid like deepening of what person is doing rather than i guess I, I just don't know i'd have to i'd have to see what the actual differences are yeah um we we read the the conclusion to uh, on the mode of existence of technical objects probably um a month ago or so um um but uh i'm not sure if the recordings are up yet but we um when, when they are, you can take a look at that or, um, or just read the conclusion um, of, the, of the book itself um, and uh, the account of philosophical knowledge in there. Um, with that said, I think we can pass to the uh, introduction itself. Um, uh, so would someone else like to read the first couple paragraphs? There are two paths according to which the reality of being qua individual can be approached. A substantialist path, which considers the being as consisting in its unity, given to itself, founded on itself, not engendered, and as resistant to what is not itself. And then there is a hylomorphic path, which considers the individual as generated by the encounter of a form and a matter. The self-centered monism of substantialistic thought is opposed to the bipolarity of the hylomorphic schema. Yet both of these two ways of approaching the reality of the individual have something in common. Both suppose that there is a principle of individuation prior to individuation itself that is capable of explaining, producing, and guiding it. We are prompted to revisit the conditions of the individual's existence starting from the constituted and given individual. 
This manner of posing the problem of individuation based on the acknowledgement of the existence of individuals conceals a presupposition that must be clarified since it involves an important aspect of the solutions that are proposed and embedded in the search for the principle of individuation. Namely, the fact that the individual qua constituted individual is the interesting reality, i.e. the reality to be explained. The principle of individuation will be sought as a principle that is capable of accounting for the characteristics of the individual without a necessary relation with the other aspects of the being that could be correlative to the appearance of a real individuated entity. Such a perspective of research grants an ontological privilege to the constituted individual. Thus, it runs the risk of not actualizing a veritable ontogenesis that would put the individual back into the system of reality within which individuation takes place. One of the postulates in the search for the principle of individuation is that individuation has a principle. In the very notion of this principle, there is a certain characteristic that foreshadows the constituted individuality along with the properties that it will have when it will be constituted. To a certain extent, the notion of a principle of individuation emerges from a genesis in reverse, an inverted ontogenesis. To account for the genesis of the individual with its definitive characteristics, we must suppose the existence of a first term, the principle, which contains within it the very explanation for what is individual in the individual, thereby accounting for its hexaity. Right, we have these um, big long paragraphs which are um, uh, characteristic of Simon Don's writing style. Um, so we might have to break up some of them. Um, but yeah, so here he's, he's setting out um, the, the problematic that he's uh, going to, or the, the, uh, the issue that he's trying, he's trying to um, bring to light. Um, and he's, so he contrasts his position to start with, uh, with these two positions, which he describes as uh, substantialist and hylomorphic. Um, so the substantialist position, um, as we'll see um, in the next little bit, uh, is the atomistic position. So it uh, it takes um, uh, it takes being or the entity to be essentially uh, the 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 atom, um, which um, has a, a substantial existence. Um, it's the atom just is what it is. Um, um, uh, and then um, out of these atoms, they're supposed to be, um, they're supposed to compose individuals um, um, through the, the, the union of these atoms. Um, uh, and then the other position is the hylomorphic position. Uh, so this is the uh, Aristotelian um, position of uh, a relationship between form and matter um, as constituting the individual. Um, and uh, he, as he'll mention in a little bit, there's a uh, you know different variants of uh, the hylomorphic position. So you can um, you you can either find the principle of individuation in matter or in the form. Um, so there are different uh, Aristotelian philosophers who took both uh, of those positions, but um, in either case, it's it's um, fundamentally still a hylomorphic position. Uh, and then the, the criticism that, that Simon Don makes of both of these positions is that uh, they, in effect, are presupposing what they're supposed to explain. So the, by, by positing this principle of individuation, um, they, the principle itself um, 
is something that has the character of being an individual. Um, um, so the the individuation um, process is not explained. Um, you, you're already starting from something that, that has the, the characteristic of an individual. Um, so that's the the general um, criticism of those positions. And so now he wants to set out um, a position that will uh, avoid that uh, circularity, um, that will account for the process of individuation without presupposing something individual. Uh, and there was a question in the chat um, from Angus. Uh, so asking in atomism, is there any account of the genesis of the atoms themselves or are they eternal? And so the answer for, for classical atomism uh, uh, Democritus and, and so on is that the atoms are eternal. Um, the atoms just are what they are, um, and uh, uh, only the composition of atoms is something that arises. And and um, composed entities can uh, be formed or or disappear. Okay, so I think we can continue um, with the next bit, starting from. Uh, oh, actually, maybe one thing before we continue is this term hexiety. Um, which is a, um, a medieval um, a term from medieval philosophy, um, and I think Duns Scotus in particular um, uh, uses this term. Uh, but maybe someone who knows uh, medieval philosophy better than I do would be able to explain that better. But um, it has to do uh, so. It, it literally means the thisness of something. Um, so um, it, it's um, for. Uh, an, an individual entity, it's the uh, the property of being that individual entity. Um, and so uh, this is what Simondon wants to be able to account for, uh, the, the thisness of, uh, of an entity. Yeah, the hexaity, um, though, points at the peculiarity and particularity of the thing. Right. Um, yeah, so you have... Um, uh, um, a dog, for example, um, it's um, um, it has the the form of dogness uh, or doghood or whatever you want to call it, um, the the property of being a dog, um, but it's also this individual dog. Um, uh, so it's not just it's not just a representative of the the, the kind dog. It's uh, um, this individual dog that um, has you know specific properties um, and. Uh, you know, exist in a particular place and time and so on. Yeah, the other thing I'd like to mention is between the substantialist and the hylomorphic uh, paths, uh, one is kind of bottom up and the other is top down. The, the substance path uh, says that there's some primordial substance at the basis of the individual that gives it autonomy and makes it last. And then that has characteristics like attributes and so forth. Um, whereas the, uh, the, 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 the hylomorphic, the, the, you've got a form, uh, that is, uh, forming content and that's more like a top down look at how individuals are created. And, 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 and I just like to mention that Husserl takes that, uh, you know, he differentiates, um, uh, the intentional morphe from the hyle that then produce the mixtures of noesis and noema. So, so Husserlian phenomenology is hylomorphic. Yeah, and um, 
Simon Dong will will um, not with specific reference to um, to Husserl, I don't think, um, but uh, he does criticize the the role of um, hylomorphic thinking in uh, the the notion of uh, uh, sensation as the matter of knowledge, and then uh, w w which has forms imposed on it, um, a sort of uh, Kantian picture of of knowledge um, as this interaction of um, of uh, uh, form and matter, um, and uh, we'll see that more uh, a little bit later in the introduction. But um, uh, yeah, so this this notion of form and matter um, uh, applies not just to uh, the individuation of uh, physical entities, but also to uh, knowledge. But does Simone then treat these two paths as complementary, or are they just two independent paths? I think they're they're complementary in a sense. Uh, so in the sense that um, the point or, or what he wants to um, explain, what Simondon wants to explain is the, the sort of middle point that neither one of them addresses. Um, so in particular, the, in the hylomorphic schema, the, the uh, interaction between the form and the matter is the point that is not um, addressed by the hylomorphic theory. Uh, we have this notion of uh, a form being imposed on on a matter, um, but what exactly that means is not clear. Um, and uh, so he, he calls this the obscure zone. Um, um, and then uh, conversely for the, the substantialist or the atomistic theory, it's the, the composition of, uh, of the atoms that is um, left as, as the obscure zone. Um, um, so there's, um, and in, in the atomistic theory, so the, um, the, the, the formation of composite bodies in the atomistic theory is a result of the, the Kleinemann, uh, the inclination. Um, so the, it starts with, um, uh, atoms falling in the void. Um, but if, uh, there was only, um, uh, atoms falling, then there would be no interaction of the atoms with each other. They're all just falling. Um, so there has to be a, a, a swerve of uh, some of the atoms so that they they actually um, come into contact with each other um, and and then form composite bodies. Uh, so this this Kleinemann, this swerve um, is uh, is the obscure zone within the the hylomorphic uh, within the atomistic theory. Um, so in each case, there's this um, uh, obscure zone um, that uh, is where Simon Don wants to start from, rather than leaving it um, as uh, something that is not properly explained. And and I just like to mention that that Kleinemann is kind of like uh, one of the sources of the idea of anamorphic objects. It's developed by Lacan and uh, Zizek. Uh, that's something I'm not really familiar with, and so maybe uh, you could give like a, a, a little um, explanation of what an anamorphic object is. So an anamorphic object is uh, like in the the uh, the painting of the two ambassadors. It's the uh, there's a there's a blob in it, um, but if you look at it off at an angle, you realize that blob is a skull. And so an anamorphic object is one that you have to take up a particular angle to in order to see the object. And so the Kleinemann is that swerve by which you then see something from a, a different angle. 
Okay, yeah, that that uh, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so it's it's this. Um, um, I guess it's a it's a principle that um, um, introduces the 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 structure that we're supposed to uh, that's supposed to be explained. Um, so the the Kleine men um, uh, serves as the explanation for the the composition of bodies um, out of these atoms. Um, so that it's it's that um, um, uh, yeah. So it, it's it's playing the role of the the angle of vision uh, in the, the the view of the painting. Yeah. So so there the view is from non-interacting atoms to interacting atoms. That's a switch in viewpoint. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Um, um, but yeah. Oh, sorry, uh, Alyosha, did you want to say something? Well, I was gonna, I was going to ask if I could read the next section. I was just going to say I think he gets to Kleinemann here. I think it might in uh, kind of relate to his ideas of how being falls out of step with itself. But I think we'll probably get to that. Yeah, uh, I yeah. I was just going to suggest we should uh, keep going. So yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But we would precisely, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but we would precisely have to show that ontogenesis can have a first term as an initial condition. A term is already an individual, sorry, a term is already an individual, or at the very least something that can be individualized and can be a source of hexaity, or fabricated into multiple hexaities. Everything that can be a support of relation already shares the same mode of being as the individual, whether this be the atom, the eternal and indivisible particle, the first matter, or the form. The atom can enter into a relation with other atoms via the Kleinemann, thereby constituting an individual, be it viable or not, through the infinite void and endless becoming. Matter can receive a form and establish ontogenesis in this matter-form relation. If there were not a certain inheritance of the hexaity to the atom, to matter, or even to form, there wouldn't be the possibility of finding a principle of individuation in these invoked realities. To seek the principle of individuation in a reality that precedes individuation itself is to consider individuation strictly as ontogenesis. The principle of individuation is then the source of hexaity. Both atomic, atomistic substantialism and the hylomorphic doctrine de facto avoid the direct description of ontogenesis itself. Atomism describes the genesis of the composite, like the living body, which merely has a precarious and perishable unity that stems from a random encounter and will dissolve back into its elements when a force greater than the force of cohesion will attack it in its composite unity. The forces of cohesion themselves, which could be considered the composite individual's principle of individuation, are thrust back into the structure of the elementary particles, which exist eternally and are the veritable individuals. In, atom in atomism, the principle of individuation is the very existence in of the infinity of the atoms. It is always already there the moment when thought can become conscious of its nature. Individuation is a fact. Individuation for each atom is the atom's own given existence, and for each composite, the fact that the composite is what it is by virtue of a random encounter. Conversely, according to the hylomorphic schema, when we consider the matter and form that will become the sunalon, the individuated being is not already given. We do not observe ontogenesis because we are always situated ahead of this form-taking that ontogenesis is. The principle of individuation, therefore, is not grasped in the individuation itself as an operation, but in what this operation requires in order to exist, namely a matter and a form. The principle is supposed to be contained either in the matter or in the form, 
since the operation of individuation is not supposed to be capable of supplying the principle itself, but only of putting it to work. The search for the principle of individuation is finished either after individuation or before individuation, depending on whether the model of the individual is physical for substantialistic atomism or technological for the hylomorphic schema. But in both cases, there is a dark zone that conceals the operation of individuation. This operation should be considered uh, as something to be explained and not that in which the explanation must be found. Hence, the notion of the principle of individuation is to be explained because thought is taken towards the completed individuated being for which it is necessary to account by passing through the stage of individuation so as to end up with the individual after this operation. There is thus a supposition of the existence of a temporal succession. First, the principle of individuation exists. Then this principle operates in an operation of individuation. And then the con constituted individual appears. If, on the contrary, we suppose that individuation doesn't just produce the individual, we would not seek to pass quickly through the st stage of individuation to arrive at this ultimate reality that the individual is. We would try to grasp ontogenesis in the whole unfolding of its reality and to know the individual through individuation rather than individuation starting from the individual. Ooh, say that three times fast. Yeah, this is one of the most interesting parts of Simondon's philosophy, the fact that he thinks that the principle of individuation comes kind of after individuation as a process, and so we can't think it a priori or beforehand. Yeah, so we um, the the starting point here is the the presupposition that the the individual is the reality to be explained, um, and once you start with from that starting point, then you um, you have this retroactive um, um, retroactive uh, um, induction of the principle of individuation, whether it whether it's the the atoms in the void or it's the the form and matter, um, um, and then one, once you um, reject that presupposition. Once you say that it's not just the individual that has to be explained, um, but um, as we'll see in a little bit, it's the individual and their milieu. The, so the individual and its milieu are, are coordinate um, results of the process of individuation. Um, uh, once we re once we uh, accept that, accept that um, the individual is not uh, the only. Uh, entity, um, it doesn't exhaust uh, what is, um, then we don't uh, have this sort of immediate tendency to uh, to have this retroactive um, uh, uh, production of the principle of individuation. Um, and then we can actually examine the process of individuation rather than uh, sort of skipping over it um, to get to the individual like, we, like um, the atomistic and the hylomorphic theories do. So, in order to get some context, one of the things uh, that could be said is that, um, you know, in Hegel's idea of the notion, uh, he abstracts from the syllogism the idea that the syllogism is made up of three parts, the universal, the individual, and the particular. And he, those, th those three things fuse together into the notion, which is an image of apperception. And so you can see 
that the individual is assumed in in that kind of syllogistic logic uh, from the very beginning. And so what what Simondon is really saying here is that we can't assume that individual as given that makes the syllogism work. And so and so it somehow takes us to something prior to logic because we can't assume the individual is there to mediate between the particular and the universal. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, he, we're going to see in a little bit that um, he's going to characterize the, the pre-individual as um, something that um, to which the law of excluded middle doesn't apply. Uh, so it's, it's beyond the, the law of excluded middle. Um, um, and so uh, classical logic would apply to individuated entities, but not to the pre-individual. Um, and uh, on, on the connection with, with Hegel or the relationship with Hegel, um, I can't remember if this comes up in the introduction at all, but he, he um, distinguishes his uh, notion of transduction from uh, the, the Hegel's notion of, of the dialectic on, um, on the basis of the, uh, the fact that transduction doesn't have this moment of negation. Um, it's uh, so there, we're going to see there's a, um, a concept of the disparate um, as uh, playing a role in the transductive process. Um, of, um, uh, but it's not, uh, it's not a negation. Uh, there's no negative moment uh, in the process. Um, and so that's, that's how he um, sets out his own uh, difference from Hegel. Can we explain a bit about the because actually Kent's example was really helpful that uh, I put that in chat of we can't assume the individual is there to mediate between the particular and the universal. That's a really great way of uh, phrasing it and I think that helps when thinking about something like the Sunalon. But I'm just trying to understand because what Kent, uh, you had originally said was um, you know rather than being before it's uh, sort of you have to begin it after. But I'm wondering and I, uh, maybe I'm just I'm getting stuck on the language here but towards the end of that paragraph uh, where he says the search for the principle of individuation is finished either after individuation or before individuation, depending on the model. But it seems to me that he's kind of saying both are problematic because even if you start it after, you kind of, that's how you fall into hylomorphism. So it's it's is it a question of of trying to locate the principle after or simply just that of trying to think with, I guess the not not putting the the principle of individu individuation anywhere prior or post a posteriori to ontogenesis itself, like that ontogenesis is the thing that needs to be explained. I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my words here, but I'm just trying to understand that. No, I, I, th I think that's the question that w we need to discover as we're, uh, the answer to that is we're going through the text because what the way I see it is that uh, what he's saying is that you can't think the individual before you have the individual. So that's a problem. Uh, and so, you know, he's going to try to describe a state prior to the individual arising. But but the, the kind of brilliance of his argument is that he says, well, I don't have the individual, so I can't think it before it arises. Um, and and after after it has arised, then I posit back a principle that would give rise to it, but I don't have that before the individual arises. 
And so there's a quandary there that I'm hoping that he's going to clarify, and I don't really have an answer to your question. Um, yeah, not to anticipate too much, uh, but he is going to introduce um, uh, this term. Uh, so in, in, in relation to the, the disjunction between the a priori and the a posteriori, um, so the uh, um, the a priori being being the, the before um, and then the a posteriori being the after, um, he's going to introduce this term a, a presenti, um, so the um, uh, happening now. Um, um, so uh, this is coordinated with uh, the process of individuation. Um, so he's specifically talking about um, in the case of knowledge there, so the relationship between matter and form in knowledge and the relationship between a priori and uh, a posteriori. Um, and he's going to argue that those, those two uh, extreme uh, terms are, are the result of the, the process of individuation, which is a presenti, which is happening in the present. Um, but that same structure applies to um, to the the physical individuation as well, um, not just in the in the sphere of knowledge. Uh, so, um, to the extent that we can say that we can say that there is a, a principle of individuation, it's uh, it has to be a principle which is um, a presence, uh, a, a principle that's present. It's not it's not something that. Um, precedes individuation or that follows individuation. It's something that um, occurs along with um, individuation. You know, that's brilliant because, um, uh, you know, when we, we talk about a priori and a, pastor, a posteriori because of Kant, but what's forgotten is that uh, the present moment is forgotten in that. And uh, so he's recognizing that and, and that's fantastic. I just want to say too, having thought about it and like looking at this sentence as well, I, it makes sense to me now that he's saying specifically that the supposition of the existence of a temporal succession. So as long as the individual is the interesting reality, like he said on the first page that you think needs to be explained, then you kind of inherently get into this problem that is almost like dialectical, like he critiques later of like, there's a principle of individuation, then it operates, and then that is now over and then all you have left is the constituted individual. And so it kind of exists on its own without any support. And I think when he's saying if it's if we, if we don't accept that the individual is the thing that needs to be explained and we accept that individuation actually produces more than just the individual and, and that the pre-individual reality still exists even when the individual is produced along with the field and everything else, then this you can't have just a simple temporal succession. Like that, I suppose he has an account for it. There is a kind of succession, just like the crystal has a kind of process that it expands in but it isn't uh you know it, it's not lost which again i won't get into it but it feels very brucksonian of like that you you always retain that the, the duration doesn't mean uh you know you you lose the previous moment that the past and the present are kind of co co-terminus and co-extensive so that kind of makes sense to me and i had forgotten actually we even spoke about a presenti last week so that that's very helpful thank you um yeah so if there's no other uh comments or, or questions, I think um, we can go on to the next bit. Um, uh, I guess I can read the next couple paragraphs. Um, oh, actually, we're getting pretty close to the end. Maybe I'll just read one paragraph, and then we can discuss that, and then uh, uh, we'll end there. We would like to show that it is necessary to reverse the search for the principle of individuation by considering the operation of individuation as primordial. 
on the basis of which the individual comes to exist and the unfolding regimes and modalities of which the individual reflects in its characteristics. The individual would then be grasped as a relative reality, a certain phase of being, which supposes a pre-individual reality prior to it and which, even after individuation, does not fully exist all by itself. For individuation does not exhaust in a single stroke the potentials of pre-individual reality. And moreover, what individuation manifests is not merely the individual, but the individual merely a coupling. The individual is therefore relative in two senses, because it is not the entire being and because it results from a state of being, state of the being in which it neither existed as individual nor as principle of individuation. Yeah, the, uh, the footnote there, um, uh, I have it in the French. Uh, I don't know if someone has the English um, like ready to go, but in the French, um, I'll just sort of translate on the fly. Um, so he says, uh, 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 yeah, so he says, and uh, a constitution between extreme terms of a, a intermediate uh, order of, of, uh, of size, uh, order of magnitude, um, the ontogenetic becoming itself uh, can be in a certain sense considered as mediation. So, you know, what's interesting about this is that uh, what, what he's doing is he's questioning a fundamental uh, assumption of the Western tradition that overemphasizes the individual. And so, you know, it, it's very interesting when uh, a thinker uh, questions a fundamental kind of principle within the tradition that no one has really thought about deeply before. And I think that's the real value of Simondon, that he's thinking about that. Showing that, uh, showing the presuppositions uh, of, of thinking and uh, especially showing that certain presuppositions are, are not um, necessary um, um, is um, uh, a very valuable um, task in philosophy. Um, you know, showing the contingency of the, the presuppositions that are um, generally accepted. Um, and, and Simon Don does that um, uh, uh, quite well. Um, yeah, so I, I just realized now that I read the wrong footnote because the numbering is different. Um, so yeah, the, I'll read it in the footnote. Um, so th this is uh, at the end of the line. Uh, so, uh, but the individual milieu coupling, then there's the footnote. Furthermore, the milieu may not be simple, homogeneous, or uniform, but it can be originally suffused by a tension between two extreme orders of magnitude that the individual mediates when it comes to be. Um, so we'll see a little bit later uh, more on these um, different orders of magnitude, um, but um, we can think of it. So an example that, that I like that he introduces later on is um, the way that a, a plant um, uh, sort of um, integrates or, or mediates the the um, molecular level uh, um, the order of magnitude with the cosmic order of magnitude by um, absorbing solar radiation. Um, so the, the the plant is a, a sort of a, a mediation between these two um, um, these two poles. So yeah, that, that seems like a good place to uh, to uh, end for today. Then um, just short of two hours. Uh, so. Uh, thank you everyone for coming um, and for your contributions and um, we'll continue with the introduction next week.